0: chapter 5 of people like that this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org people like that by kate langley bosher chapter 5 i was out of the door before selwyn had left the window Quickly he followed me, however, and on the front porch, where Mrs. Mundy was already standing, we stood for a half-moment, looking up and down the street. The small arc of the light made by the corner gas-lamp lessened, but little, of the darkness of the seemingly deserted street, and for a while we could distinguish nothing save the shadows cast by the gaunt trees of the square. Then I saw Selwyn start. "'Go inside.' He was his steady self again. "'It is too cold out here. "'I think someone has been hurt. "'Go in.' "'I ran in Mrs. Mundy's room "'and to her wardrobe. "'Getting a coat and an old cape, "'I threw the latter over my shoulders "'and, coming back to the porch, "'went down its steps and across the street "'to where Mrs. Mundy and Selwyn "'were bending over a young woman "'who stirred as they came up. "'Put this on.' I threw the coat to Mrs. Mundy. "'Who is it?' "'I don't know,' Mrs. Mundy knelt on the ground. "'Are you hurt?' she asked. "'There, that's better.' With skilful movement she helped the girl, who seemed dazed, to steady herself. As the latter sat up she put her hand to her face and brushed back her hair. "'Where am I? Has he gone?' Her face was dropped in her hands. "'If you just kill me and end it, end it!' "'Who hurt you?' Selwyn's voice was the quiet one that was ever his when something was to be done, and, leaning over her, he took the girl by the arm and lifted her to her feet. "'Can you tell what has happened?' He looked at Mrs. Mundy. "'It's too cold out here for her to stand.' She's pretty faint still. "'Bring her over to me,' Mrs. Mundy put her coat around the shivering girl, and, slipping her hand through one arm, motioned Selwyn to take hold of the other. "'Run ahead,' she nodded to me, "'and fix up a dose of that aromatic spirits of ammonia what's on the second shelf of the closet in my bedroom, and pull the couch up to the fire.' "'Dazedly,' and dragging her feet as if they were powerless to move, the girl entered the warm and cheerful room. But at her entrance, understanding seemed to give her strength. With a shuddering, shivering, indrawing breath, she drew back and leaned against the door frame. I must go. I... I can't come in there. I'm better now. I must go. You can't go. Selwyn's voice was decisive. You'll be all right presently, but you'll have to—to rest first. Firmly she was led to the couch and pushed upon it. Taking the medicine from my hands, he held it to her lips. Take this. Hesitating, partly defiant, partly afraid, the girl raised her eyes to his. Then, with hand that shook badly, she took the glass and drank part of its contents. The rest was spilled in her lap. If it were prussic acid, I'd be glad to drink it. The voice was bitter, and again the eyes, pale yet burning, were raised to his, and in them was what seemed frightened but guarded recognition. Quickly she dropped them and glanced around the room, as though looking for escape, and again her hands made convulsive pressure. Again she started to get up. I must go, I tell you, I must, I, I can't stay here. Very well, Mrs. Mundy looked towards Selwyn and away from me. When you are steady, you can go. Mr. Thorne will telephone for a cab, and I will take you home. Oh, no! The girl's face became the pallor that frightens, and on either side of her a hand was dug in the couch on which she was sitting. I'm all right now. I don't want a cab. I just want to go, and by myself. Please let me go. The last words were lost in a sob, and coming close to her, I sat beside her, and, putting my hand on her face, turned it slightly that I might better see the big black bruise on her forehead, partly hidden by the loose, dark curls which fell across it. Her hair was short and thick and parted on the side, giving her a youthful, boyish look that was an odd contrast to the sudden terror in her eyes and for the first time i saw how slight and frail she was saw that about her which baffled and puzzled me and which i could not analyze she wore no hat and the red scarf around her neck was the only touch of color in her otherwise dark dress the lips of her large sweet sensuous mouth was as colorless as her face You have been hurt. I put my hand on her trembling once. Did someone strike you, or did you fall? She shook her head and drew her hands away. I wasn't hurt. I I slipped and fell and struck my head on the pavement. Don't let anybody telephone. I can go alone. Please, please let me go. I must go. I can't stay here. But you mustn't go alone. I turned to Selwyn. "'Mr. Thorn will go with you. "'Do you live far from here?' "'Not very. "'It's close enough for me to go by myself. "'He mustn't go with me.' "'The words came stumblingly, "'and again I saw the quick frightened look she gave Selwyn, "'a look in which was indecision and appeal, "'as well as fear, "'and I saw, too, that his face flushed as he turned away. "'With quick movement the girl got up, from her throat came a sound hysterical and choking and putting her hand to it she looked first at me and then at mrs mundy but at selwyn she did not look again i am going thank you for letting me come in blindly she staggered to the door her hands outstretched as if to feel what she could not see at it she turned and in her face was that which keeps me awake at night which haunts and hurts and seems to be crying to me to do something which I know not what to do. You poor child! I started toward her. You must not go alone. But before I could reach her, she fell in a heap at the door, and as one dead, she lay limp and white and piteously pretty on the floor. End of chapter 5